Well, it's wonderful to be back with you this week. Uh, Last week, I had an opportunity to go to the preaching and teaching convention at Ozark Christian College. It was a wonderful week, um, minus all of the weather that we experienced there. Uh, You've heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and that's true of you all, but also true of our nice Florida weather. Uh, On Sunday when we arrived there, it was a wonderful 73 degrees. On Monday, it was 23 degrees, a 50-degree swing in one day. Uh, In fact, I had to uh, snap this picture this morning, given our message. Uh, We're looking today at the parable of the sower, and Ozark Christian College has on its campus a statue uh, of this parable. Uh, You'll also notice there are some flecks of snow in my hair. And so, uh, again, excited to be back with you all here this morning and to be talking about this parable today. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 13 as we look at the story that Jesus tells today. We've been tracing in the gospel of Matthew uh, this theme of the kingdom of heaven, looking at Jesus as our king and looking at how he continues to come back to this over and over throughout his ministry. And parables, these stories that Jesus often tells, are, are huge in following this theme. Jesus loved to teach in parables. Because there's just something about a story that draws you in. It's easy to lose yourself in a story. Stories cause us to perk up, to to take our attention, to kind of abduct us, in a sense, into a different world, a different way of thinking. Ask any preacher when a congregation leans in, and it's during the stories. And there's actually a scientific or psychological reason for this. Apart from personal experience, story is the quickest way to learn. In fact, it's been documented that our brains store the abstract, these stories, and we're more likely to remember stories than we are just lists of facts. But parables, as Jesus tells them, are much more than just a story. Jesus did not just haphazardly choose stories and parables at random. It's not just story time with Jesus. These are stories with intent. Jesus has a specific purpose in telling these stories. In fact, throughout the Gospels, we see him tell over 50 of these parables. And they're common stories filled with everyday imagery, stories of kings and kingdoms, of money, of agriculture, of family and weddings. Often, Jesus uses earthly metaphors to teach heavenly messages. And so what you find in parables most often is that it's focused, though, on this theme, this very theme that we've been pursuing uh, of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus often begins these stories by saying something like, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. But often also in these parables, he includes the statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying through these stories, the meanings of these stories, these parables, aren't always obvious. You're going to have to think through them, at times even wrestle through them, to understand what I'm saying. There's a struggle with what he is saying in the sense that we have to wrestle with these stories and how it affects us. Because one of the nice things or neat things about these parables is that they subvert our expectations in a way that is very inviting to us. That rather than tell us some startling news or some startling fact about his kingdom, Jesus draws us in with a story and we wrestle through the implications of that. You see, while these stories appear kind of basic on the surface, they are full of twists and turns, unexpected surprises, and ways that you thought, the way of thinking that you thought you thought, are now turned on their head. 
N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this. He says, many of Jesus' parables are like mazes designed to challenge his listeners to work out for themselves how to get to the heart of things. As I read that line in my research this week, uh, I thought of my older son Chandler. He's six years old. We were at a restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and they gave him the kind of paper kids menu, and one of the activities on there was to do a maze. And in frustration, he said, Dad, I've tried this like three or four ways, and I just can't find my way through the maze. We'll see that a little bit as we work through this parable this morning and parables of Jesus as a whole. And as we reflect on Matthew chapter 13 today, I want to reflect on this question. Will I live life the way God intended? Will I eagerly accept his truth into my heart? Or will I resist it and try to figure it out on my own? We'll read this parable that Jesus tells and then break it down with some of Jesus' own explanation into the elements of this story. Read with me in Matthew 13, verse 3. It says, Then Jesus told them many things and parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What Jesus is describing for us this morning is the ways that we respond to the gospel. In Luke's own retelling of this story, his own account in his gospel, he says clearly the seed is the word of God. And so how we respond to the gospel, how we respond to God's word is our focus today. But also as we look at this, I want to clear kind of a few things up as we enter into this, uh, our unpacking of this parable. You see, there are some faith traditions or some groups that will tell you that these four soils are four different kind of groups of people. That God has chosen some of them to be paths or rocky soil or thorny soil or good soil. But these four responses that Jesus describes are not four different types of people, but four choices that we all have in responding to the truth of his message. You see, the path is a hard heart, the one that resists God's truth. Rocky soil is a superficial heart. There's kind of a shallow commitment Thorns, this thorny soil is a divided heart. It's compromising or fearful. And then, of course, we have in the good soil a receptive heart, one that is willing and eager to accept the gospel and live it out. And so as we come before this parable, we respond to this kingdom message. And the kind of soil that we are, the way that we respond, determines what we reap, what we receive from this kingdom message. All of us have the opportunity to be any of these kinds of soil, and it's the situation and circumstances of our heart that determine which soil we are. You see, just like the farmer who plants a crop, we can't expect a large harvest if you don't plant a large amount of seed. In other words, we can't expect the gospel to positively change our lives if we haven't invested our lives in it. Let me say that again. We can't expect the gospel to positively change our lives if we haven't invested our lives in it. We see this in other areas of our lives as well. You know, you can't go to the gym a couple of times a week, lift some dumbbells, and expect to look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, it just doesn't work that way. 
And so as we respond to this parable this morning, I want to encourage you to genuinely identify what the state of your heart is, resembled by these soils. Is your heart hardened to the message of the gospel? Is it one that springs with excitement, but when it is tested and challenged, it withers away? Is, is it one that is choked out by the worries and anxieties of this world? Or is it one that is receptive to his message to grow this crop into an amazing, bountiful harvest? But I also want to encourage you, not just to identify where your heart is, but to encourage you that where you are today doesn't have to define where you'll be tomorrow. God is a God of grace, and he loves for his people to grow in relationship with him. We will always have the opportunity to respond to his kingdom offer with genuine trust. And so again, we read Matthew 3, Jesus tell of this soil, or this seed that falls along the path, along with his explanation of it. It says, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Jesus goes on to explain what this means in verse 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. As Jesus opens this parable, he does so, like I said, in many of his parables with this common image of a farmer. But at first, he doesn't seem like a very smart farmer. He's out there just kind of flinging seed all willy-nilly all over the place. It's ending up in all kinds of different areas, not even all in good soil. And if you know any farmers, you know that farmers are are responsible people. They're not ones to waste resources and let seed fall on barren paths. But this good farmer is a picture of our gracious God. And I think the seed falling on the path and falling on all these different kinds of soil is a testament to God's grace. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has His word fall on all types of places and people because He wants everyone to come to repentance. But of course, we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and we know that his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy life. And Satan knows that the easiest target are the ones who don't understand the message of the gospel. Now, I know this can sound kind of harsh when Jesus says those who don't understand the gospel are like this seed waiting on this path for Satan to come and to snatch them up. But I want you to remember that what Jesus is describing for us here are heart responses, not head responses. In other words, I don't think that Jesus is saying, listen, if you can't fully grasp the entirety of God's word, then, then you're out. No, I think much more likely what Jesus is describing aren't people who misunderstand what the gospel is, as much as people who misunderstand what the gospel requires of them. Many people hear the message of salvation through Jesus. They hear the gospel. They hear that Jesus died for their sins and that he was dead and buried and raised to new life so, again so that we could spend eternity with him. But they misunderstand what that means for their lives. We think of the gospel as kind of our heaven ticket getting punched and, and who wouldn't respond positively to that message? 
the message of just accept Jesus into your heart and sit back until we reach our final destination. Now, the misunderstanding happens when people accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. And so when Jesus begins to say things like, being my follower means placing me first, even over your family. Being my disciple means giving me your time, your energy, your resources to see others come to know me. Or being my disciple means dying to yourself each and every day. Suddenly people are, whoa, 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 Jesus, that's not what I signed up for. And because they misunderstand what the gospel requires of them, they begin to harden their hearts about what they're willing to give Jesus. And they're unwilling to let Jesus come into certain areas of their lives. The path is the soil of a hard heart, resisting what Jesus calls us to. He also tells us about this rocky soil. Verse 5, he says again, Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Again, in verse 20, he explains the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I love how Jesus describes this soil in the sense of he says they receive the message with joy. Because we all know people who have come to Jesus for the first time and are just totally on fire for him. And there's a sense in my own testimony that I envy that a little bit. I read not too long ago a statistic that within six years of becoming a Christian, almost all the relationships that you have are with fellow Christians. Within six years, few of us have relationships with lost people. And so we love to see someone choose to follow Jesus for the first time because uh, they're passionate, they're on fire, the, the zest within them to tell their friends and their family, their neighbors, their coworkers, all of the things that Jesus is doing in their lives. But there's also a threat to this kind of joyful response. Jesus says that when hardship or trouble comes, it threatens to extinguish that initial response of joy. Again, this kind of sense of Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. I thought when I became a Christian, my whole life would be easier. I didn't know that I would face hardship. I didn't know I would face difficulty. I didn't know it might cost me my relationships or a job, people's opinions of me. And so that joyous response often fizzles out. I think this is especially true of young people. I remember going to CIY or summer camps when I was in high school and, and seeing kids go and experience that and come back so on fire, only to be back to their old way of life within a few months. But this isn't to say just because I think it's pertinent in younger people that us adults are off the hook. You know, we teach our young people, we teach our families what to prioritize. And I find it ironic that we on Sundays, take our kids to ball games or friends' houses or birthday parties or just straight up stay home. And then we lament that they don't prioritize church when they're off on their own. The only way this story changes is when we begin to prioritize the things of God over the things of this world. The gospel is exciting, and yet it is also enduring. It's not about a one-time moment. It's about a life lived with Jesus. 
In living for Jesus, we see that this patient endurance, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction, this patient endurance is necessary if we want to experience the benefits of his kingdom life. This rocky soil is a soil of shallow commitment, one that is built on emotion and circumstance. Jesus continues with the soil of thorns. Verse 7, he says, This other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 22, in explanation, he says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. If I had to pinpoint which of these soils presents the greatest risk to us in our culture, I think it would definitely be this thorny soil. Jesus says that they represent the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think that could basically describe the epidemic that we find ourselves in as a society. See, nearly 40 million Americans suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. Anxiety has become the most common mental health condition among teens and college students. With the rise of social media and constant access to anything at our fingertips, anxiety is actually rising at unprecedented levels. And it doesn't necessarily get better with age. In other words, you don't grow out of worry. Psychology Today did a study on what people worry about the most. And I'm guessing that the results won't surprise you because they're the things that we probably find ourselves worrying about as well. At the top of the list was relationships. Do people know me? Do people love me? How do I fit in? Do I have value? The second was finances. Well, I make enough this month to cover the bills. And I think Jesus specifically mentions wealth as one of the things that chokes out this faithful response because wealth can be kind of double deadly. It can cause us to worry if we don't think we have enough, or it can give us security as a false god because we do have enough. Third on the list is the future. We worry about the future of our country. We worry about the future of our world. We worry if our kids will grow up into who we're raising them to be. Maybe you worry about the future of your marriage. We worry about the bills, our kids, our jobs, our relationships, our government, our culture, our future, world affairs, and all of it. All of it threatens to choke out the vision of our King Jesus on his throne. It's not that we don't encounter problems. Our problems are real. But worry is not the solution. Jesus is. Psalm 73 encourages us with these words. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus says it this way, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? The thorny soil is the soil of misplaced trust, where we are controlled by our fear and our anxiety. Finally, Jesus gets to the last soil, the good soil. Verse 8, he says, Still other seed fell on the good soil or produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Verse 23, he says, But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. 
Obviously, this is the soil that we should all strive to be. I'm guessing that your presence here this morning tells me that you are striving to be this soil if you're not already. This soil is representative of a life committed to Jesus. We understand who he is and what he asks of us as our good and loving king. Our zeal and excitement for him doesn't depend on our feelings or emotions. It is rooted in living out the gospel daily. Being good soil doesn't mean that we are exempt from worry, but we have chosen to place our anxieties in the hand of our powerful king. The gospel will grow in the soil of a heart committed to Jesus. But as any good gardener or farmer will tell you, good soil doesn't just happen by accident. Good soil is prepared. You have to till it and weed it and fertilize it. You have to dig into it and turn it over and work the soil. And the same is true with our spiritual soil. It's not that we work for our salvation, but we cultivate our lives to receive his word and sow it in our lives in powerful and meaningful ways. It's when we read his word and we spend time with him in prayer and we live in spiritual community with one another that we are cultivating the soil of our heart to receive his kingdom and see it grow beyond what we can imagine. I said toward the beginning of this sermon that sometimes parables are like mazes. They have twists and turns as we draw closer and closer to what Jesus is calling us to. When Chandler was having that frustrated moment with that restaurant menu, I gave him an old trick that I have used in mazes. I told him, sometimes mazes are easier if you start at the end and work your way back. About 20 seconds later, he had it solved. When it comes to the parable of the sower, I think that we can take that same advice. Start with the end goal in mind. It's easy to find ourselves represented by these other soils. Soils of divided allegiance, soils of fleeting excitement and spiritual highs, soils of worry and anxiety. But again, where you are today doesn't have to be where you are tomorrow. And yet the flip side is also true. That where you are today doesn't guarantee you'll be there tomorrow. It all starts with the place that we put Jesus in our lives. It starts with how we think of him. It starts with how we live for him and love him and interact with him. That just like a maze, when we start with the end in mind, when we start with Jesus in mind, we find the right path through. Starting with Jesus means accepting him as your king, living for him as your Lord, bending a knee to him in worship and in service. I don't know what soil you are this morning, but wherever you might find yourself, I want you to know that you can cultivate that spiritual soil of your life to make a life that is receptive to the gospel message, that Jesus did die for our sins, that he was raised to new life, that we get to experience eternity with him, and that begins in the here and now. Over and over again throughout these kingdom messages, Jesus will draw in earthly parallels, this earth-to-heaven connection. And what we find is that we live as his ambassadors now. We live as his representatives now. That we live as light and salt in this world. That in dark and desperate times, the world looks to the church to see how we respond because of the trust we place in our King Jesus. 
But we cultivate this in the Word and in our worship and in community. This morning, I want to extend to you the opportunity to place Jesus as the King of your life. If that's not a decision that you've made in the past, or if it's a decision you feel you've wandered from, if you find yourself represented by one of the other soils in this story, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you about what it means to place your life in the hands of Jesus as our good and loving King. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And I thank you for these stories that Jesus tells. These parables where he sneaks in kingdom truths, often hard or doubtful hearts. But by a simple telling of a story, we find ourselves by the end of it in a different place where maybe we thought we were. Today, as we look at these soils, I pray that we would all be good soil, where your word can be sown and we can reap a harvest that this world might see in us, the grace and truth of the gospel. But maybe some in this room are feeling like one of those other soils, hard-hearted to what you ask of us, or unrooted amidst the struggles of this world, or maybe choked out by fear and anxiety and worry. God, if that's where we are this morning, if any of them in this room this morning is there, I pray that you would remind them of your grace, that they don't have to be there tomorrow, that you are a God of grace and a God of change and transformation, that when we place our lives in the hands of Jesus, he does something incredible with that. And so, God, I pray that we would simply, in our hearts and in our lives, bend our knee to him as our king, that we would cultivate the soil of our lives through the study of your word, through our worship, through living in community with one another, and find that when we do, we expect and see a harvest reaped in our lives, that others might come and see in us a life lived for our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.